Hi, you're listening to the Indie Bookshelf podcast with me, Holly. And me, Amy. As we champion the indie book industry, from independent authors and publishers to independent bookshops. We have a range of literary discussions and book recommendations to indulge your love for all things bookish. The Indie Bookshelf podcast is brought to you by Asteria Press, our indie publishing house specialising in feel-good fantasy books. And in today's episode, we are super excited to be welcoming a special guest, Wendy Mack from Whitestone Pages. Wendy is a professional freelance book designer working on both the interior design of books and book covers too. So you can find her at Whitestone Pages and we'll be attaching all of her details to the show notes if you want to follow up with her after. Hi, Wendy. Thank you for joining us. Um, I think we should uh, start with you telling us a bit about yourself. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so my name's Wendy. Uh, I'm a freelance graphic and book designer. So just like Amy, I had taken a master's in publishing and I had my start in book marketing. Um, I've been dabbling in the world of design for around two years now. And officially, I launched my freelance alias Whitestone Pages during this year's London Book Fair, um, which incidentally was also when Asteria Press launched. Um, so in case anyone is wondering about the origins of the name, um, I was and I still am obsessed with Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. Um, it's a beautiful piece of children's literature. It's imaginative, inspiring and filled with lots of out of the box thinking. Um, so one thing that Lewis Carroll used to do and um, used to use the phrase. So one thing that Lewis Carroll used to do um, is that he used the phrase, I mark this day with a white stone very often in his personal diary uh, for days that he considered significant and worth celebrating or remembering. Um, I believe this tradition actually goes back even further, possibly even to the Roman times. So um, I wanted to channel all of that imagination, out of the box thinking and moments worth celebrating into my own work. I aim to mark each of my design projects with a white stone. I love that's that so, so much. beautiful <laughs> that's just really inspiring to hear um and it's really exciting just to yeah hear those little stories behind the business as well and behind like where you get your inspiration from um how did you get into book design interestingly um so I had a design mentor at the time which uh, she's still my design mentor, we just haven't been in touch as often. Um, but at the time she was doing really well, she still is. And she didn't have uh, the capacity to work on like an emergency design job. Uh, one of her clients had a book that was hitting print literally like the following Monday. And uh, the illustrator was ill, uh, like severely ill. And they needed help editing uh, some of the, they had this map, this really gorgeously illustrated map at the start of the book, um, but it couldn't be sent to print. Uh, they basically had to remove, they did really beautiful handwritten annotations on that map, um, but it wasn't going to print properly. So they needed to remove all of that in order to put it on um, as a type. Um, so I got called in um, for this emergency job. I did it within one weekend um and then afterwards I got a good review from them and then somewhere down the grapevine uh one of my current clients were like oh I need uh someone to we need more designers on our team uh for books and that was how I got sort of pulled in so it was through uh, a contact 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 that I got into 
book design. That like, sounds like the publishing industry. Yeah, <laughs> publishing industry is, is chance encounters. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking today all about um, book covers. Um, I'm sure everyone has heard the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover. Um, I mean, in the first instance, I judge books by their spines, because that's what I could see in the bookshop. Um, so what do we think makes for a successful book cover? We've got the full range, the full complement of opinions here um, with a designer, uh, graphic graphic designer, is that right? <laughs> um, illustrator, author, and editor slash reader. So we're going to have some, some good insights. Ollie, do you have thoughts? If I kick us off. What makes for a successful book cover? Well, when I was doing some research into designing my first book cover, one of the pieces of advice that really stood out to me, and I'm really sorry, I do not remember from which YouTube video this was from, um, so I cannot cite it, but one of the pieces of advice that really stuck with me is somebody who is saying that what a book cover should really do is provide clarity. Um, above everything else, it should tell a reader immediately whether or not this is going to be the kind of book they enjoy reading. And basically, that is the first foremost bottom line thing about what makes a book cover successful is just, will it speak to a reader and say, yes, I'm for you, or rather, no, I am not the kind of book that you're going to want to spend time with. Um, and so I think, yeah, that clarity on genre, on communicating the kind of theme, and I'm, I'm going to use the word vibe, <laughs> the, the vibe of a book and whether or not that's going to chime with you as the reader. Um, I think that's really key to making a successful book cover. I don't know whether you have um, any thoughts on that, Wendy. Um, no, as I was listening to you, actually, I probably would this, say the same thing. Um, for me personally, like, a book cover, like it must catch the eye. And at first glance, just like you said, it has to convey all the necessary details for the viewer to form the desired impressions of the content and also to convince them uh, to be curious enough to pick it up or to find out more. So for me, like a successful book cover would do just that. One, catch the eye, two, convey the desired impression of the book's content, and then three, convince the viewer to take action, uh, whether it's, you know, taking that book by the spine off of the shelf uh, to find out what it is or uh, placing that pre-order. Um, it needs to sort of convince the viewer to take some sort of action. Mm, definitely. I think the same. Um, I think so. we touched on book cover design a little bit at my publishing masters. And I'm not a very visually creative person. Um, <laughs> I, I can't draw and I can't um, I can't even match colors together. So take everything I say with a pinch of salt. Um, but one of the things we kind of talked about at, at uni was that there are genre specific tropes with covers in the same way that there are genre specific tropes with, with the writing, the actual content. And those grow and change over time. So you can really tell um, like the murder mystery of Ag Agatha Christie's time has a very different type of cover to um, the modern murder mysteries that you see with the creams and the reds and the blacks of um, Janice Hallett's books and 
Richard Osman's books, there's a really distinct, like, visual, this is a murder mystery, or um, the vibrant block colours of romance. Um, so, yeah, like, using those elements of design to really communicate what this book sits on the shelf with um, and what genre they are. Yeah, for sure. Just on genre, um, completely agree. I feel like even within genre, there are subgenres, and then usually design is able to convey that as well. Like if you think about sort of the general crime thriller books, they usually have really dark and mysterious imagery, maybe some flashy colored text on the cover. But then when you think of cozy crime, they're usually much softer and, and they're usually more sort of typography focused. And um, so even within the genre, there's like certain subgenre cues that kind of the reader would clock onto and think, oh, this is the sort of crime or the sort of genre that I'm looking for. Mm. Yeah, every visual element is about managing reader expectations. And it's really powerful how how just very subtle imagery can do that and colours um, and things. Um, I think I also want to just pop on to a point that you raised, Wendy, earlier about how ideally a book cover should also make you curious about that book and ideally would lead to some kind of action uh, whether that be signaling that actually this is not a book you want to read walk past find another one or whether it be hopefully you know pick up the book look at the spine look at the blurb um maybe maybe buy it um or decide to borrow it from a library or something I think getting getting that balance right between making it stand out to make you as a reader curious about it and choose to pick that one up and have a browse of that one as opposed to any of the other books in the genre while also keeping within the genre expectations of making sure that you know, oh, I immediately know this is the cosy murder mystery uh, style or something. And I think getting that balance right of standing out but also blending in and very clearly sending those messages about subgenre it's quite a difficult one to balance. Yeah, 100%. I think the balance is very important. Like you want to get genre across so that you can find the right audience. But at the same time, you don't want to blend in with everything else on the shelf because that way you don't get noticed. So it is a very tricky one. It's almost like taking something that is established but trying to do something unique enough with it that it will catch someone's eye. Um, so yeah definitely a tricky one do you have any tips on that front um Just i think some free advice there. <laughs> yes um on that uh definitely look at sort of book trends like design trends um for example like back at there was one time where sort of mustard yellow until was like everywhere <laughs> Um, true story, I was standing in like the supermarket, Tesco's, I was looking at the shelf, just, you know, having a peek at what was available. And I think I, I must have counted like five covers <laughs> that literally had mustard yellow until, um, the one that comes to mind is currently The Woman in the Window by AJ Finn. Um, but there's a lot out there and to figure out who set the trend and who, uh, is jumping on the bandwagon, it's more of a chicken and egg story, but um yeah there's like I would say monitor them so that you can see what's going on but definitely don't 
um, if it's at the beginning of the trend, you can potentially jump onto it. But if it's at the end, you don't want to be that fifth book on the Tesco shelf, you know. Um, and you also want to do something a bit different as well. So, so I would say study those trends uh, to get an idea of what your competitors are doing, but don't be too tempted to do the same thing because at the end of the day, you don't want to be uh, a copycat for sure. No, that's really helpful. Thank you. So we've talked about what makes a successful book cover, um, but why why does it matter? I mean, this feels like a convoluted question, but why does it matter that this book cover is successful? What's why is it the cover art, um, cover art that we need to invest in? Um, for me. The book cover art is very important. Um, it's almost like the symbolic blurb for the book, but in a visual form. So it has to convey like the essence of the whole body of text in a couple of seconds. So without trying to get too philosophical about it, if you really think about it, uh, for those people who have never read the book and they will probably never read it, but it's sort of there in their mental stratosphere somewhere, like they've heard of it, uh, they know it exists. Um, unless they ever pick up the book and read the text itself, the book cover will always, in their minds, be representative of the actual book, and it will become the book until they read the text. So that is a lot of responsibility uh, for one book cover to have. Um, but yeah, it's symbolically so tied to uh, the book itself, and, and that's why it needs to make a good representation of that body of text and do it justice. Mm. And if you think about the journey of the reader, assuming that they're entering a bookshop that has absolutely no cover up, cover, cover facing dis displays, the first thing they're doing is looking at the spine and it will be the spine, the design on the spine and possibly the title that they notice first. And then they might pull that book out. And the first thing they do is they look at the front and then the second thing they do is the blurb. Although these days, the back of the book holds no useful information. <laughs> and then the, it's not until like the, their fourth action that they, they open up and read the first page. So during the writing process, we're all thinking that first page, that first paragraph needs to be, like that needs to be the hook, that needs to be the draw, that needs to be the most important thing. But when it's actually in like, product form the most important thing is that spine and that cover because if they're not seeing the cover and thinking yes this looks like the kind of thing I would read they're not even going to get to the first page precisely I also want to add in another um, perspective because there is the if I'm going to use the word sort of marketing and commercial side um, of what the cover is doing to hopefully make a reader make a choice about whether or not they want to buy the book and read the book. But there's also, I think, another side of it. Um, and maybe this is just me being a complete book nerd, but I'm assuming that we'll have listeners here who um, <laughs> sympathise with this. Like, when the books in my house are beautiful, and I love the bookshelves. They make me happy because they are beautiful. 
And so there's something also about this is like, yes, a book is the text to some extent, but most of the time I'm not actually reading the book as a text. I'm seeing the book as a visual object in my house. And hopefully that that cover will provide that sense of beauty and inspiration and joy and something about it will I'm just gonna say the word like almost feed my soul and and give me that like hugely happy feeling as a bookworm I love seeing all the um like bookstagram posts of like when they have their shelves like all color coordinated and everything and it's all beautiful and arranged all wonderfully and not at all like my house where I've got books like piled up all over the place and like random piles because they're falling out of the bookshelves by this point um but there's something about yeah the book as a as a tre- as a treasured object as a beautiful object in your house as well um and I think that's something that a book cover does way beyond that first initial impression about whether or not you want to buy it for sure. And I feel like a lot of people would instant buy a book based on what it looks like rather than what they know of the book as well. So it's got that huge buying power for sure. Yeah, I'm certain. I'm certain there's a um for each of us a feature on a on a book cover that's just an instant crawl. And it will be different for all three of us. I feel like if a cover has bees on it, then I'm that's like straight to the first page for me (laughs) for me it's not so much what is on the book cover but I think I speak for a lot of people when I say the production side of things matter as well I'm a huge sucker for any added extras on top so for example spot UV foil embossing debossing love a sprayed edge anything like that that just makes me go ooh, shiny <laughs> I want to have a look and touch it and yeah I'm very drawn by those things but those things are usually very expensive um, to produce and to buy unfortunately mm. it's always annoying that isn't it <laughs> yeah there's a book from um when I was growing up it was a I think it was just a YA romance maybe or no no I don't think that's true I think it was a YA murder mystery completely different thing um but it had um you just reminded me because it had a um sprayed edge of like birds flying up uh the pages Mm -hmm. and oh it's it's a very beautiful it's like a very understatedly beautiful book um that you just reminded me of hmm that just reminded me as well of another book. Um, the title eludes me, but it was like folklore horror. And they did the sprayed edges um, by having like lines off like a very old nursery rhyme or something around the side. And it was wow. so simple, but so creepy and so powerful. And that's just, you know, a little bit of sprayed ink on the side. And so, yeah, it really does set. Uh, the mood and uh, I think really elevate definitely a book. Mm. Are there Sorry. any big no-nos when it comes to book cover design? Um, Wendy, I'm going to jump straight to you here because you're the expert in this. <laughs> um, big no-nos. Um, 
I think like we said earlier, don't jump on book design trends. <laughs> so that would be my first big no-no. Um, but other than that, I think when you're studying genres and you're looking at like particular niches of books, you'll find that there is a lot of um, those genre uh, cues. And at some point they become really cliche. Uh, so it's not just like color schemes at this point. It's like, for example, uh, going back to crime, because that's quite easy to imagine. But uh, genre cliches include mugshots, silhouettes, always silhouettes, <laughs> keys, um, you name it. Uh, it's been quite overdone. So I'll say unless you're doing something very original or unique with them, uh, for example, recently Lucy Foley's the, the Paris Apartment, they did something very unique with the keys where they used the key shadow to, fo to form the Eiffel Tower and obviously it's set in Paris. So they put a twist on that very, uh, what would be considered very cliche motif of the crime genre. Um, so I would say don't fall into cliches unless you're going to do something very original with them. Um, what else? Um, the Again, going back to visibility, um, the title must be visible. I think it's very easy to fall down. Uh, and I certainly have like the rabbit hole of like beautiful fonts really nice um, to look at, but not very good to read. Um, and that's very important when you're looking at a bookshelf on, uh, sorry, a book on a bookshelf. Um, you have to remember and keep in mind that a lot of readers um, are quite lazy. And if you're going to be walking through a bookshop with hundreds of books, you're not going to probably stand there and try to figure out what one book covers say. Your eye is going to immediately be drawn to those that are a lot more sort of attention grabby and easier to read at the end of the day. So definitely visibility. Um, don't go for super flowery fonts that uh, are hard to read. Um, usually they are harder to print as well, potentially. Um, so avoid like smaller fonts too. Um, also, book covers that are too busy or they don't have like a really clear focal point uh, where your eye is just naturally guided to, to either look at um, a particular symbol um, or even the title. Uh, books that just have, book covers that just have too much going on, sometimes it's a bit overwhelming. So you want like a very clear sort of structure and focal point as well. Um, yeah, that's all I can think of at the top of my head. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's absolutely loads. And um, I feel like I've learned a lot just in the few minutes when you were speaking. Um, I'm also, I am really not a fan of when a book title is difficult to read. Um, I I struggle a bit with the current romanticy trope, book cover trend, which is kind of black cover generally a crown or a sword or something like that yeah um with water or something weird going on and then like the titles are often like woven into the design and I'm, it, it's probably like it's a beautiful design but they all look the same and they're all really hard to read the title <laughs> you kind of have to squint at it and be like what's that one saying um so yeah that is one of my pet peeves at the moment for sure uh, you want to be recognised as a unique book, not as a, oh, it could be a part of that series that did something similar with the design, with the crowns and stuff. Um, yeah. Have you got any think, thoughts, Amy? 
Yeah, I think going on um, what Wendy was saying about picking legible fonts and not having too busy a cover. Um, I think keeping in mind throughout the design process that not everyone, not every book is going to have a cover facing position in a bookshop and not every reader is going to come across you through that. Um, so it's all very well if your if your book is loud and bold and stands up out like on the tables in the middle of Waterstones because that's that's only going to capture so many readers. Um, I do a lot of my reading on the library app and I still have that same process of looking at the title, looking at the cover. If it interests me, I click through and that's essentially the blurb. And if that interests me, I might read the sample or straight download it if it's available. Um, and that's a whole new kind of ball game. You now need a um, cover that has visual uh, images and graphics and font that are identifiable on a, on a mobile phone screen. Um, because a lot, lots of people are using, you know, online things to buy their books, be it uh, Waterstones online or a local local bookstore online, or God forbid, Amazon <laughs> or a library. So your cover has to stand out at a teeny, teeny, tiny size on a screen. Well, that's been a really interesting discussion on um, what we don't like in a book cover. But of course, besides the book cover itself, there's also the internal design of a book and what goes on once you've you've opened to the first page and you've been hooked by that first paragraph um, that Amy has so beautifully edited. Um, so I'm wondering, Wendy, can you tell us a bit about what the internal design for a book um, looks like and what that, um, some tips for how that can feel good and how that can't, because I feel like very much from my perspective, as a reader, I can tell if an if the inside of a book layout feels good, but I have absolutely no idea how and why you made that happen. So that, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on that. Sure. Um, so I have designed children's books, um, and I know that it it works very differently uh, for for the children's world compared to adult fiction, um, but. A quick, dis, uh, a quick explainer on that. Uh, in the world of children's books, it's all about uh, directing the eyes. It's about guiding the eyes on a journey. And there are obviously illustrations which don't always appear in adult fiction. Um, and it's all about, you know, how can I hold this five, six, seven, eight-year-old's attention <laughs> for the duration of this book? So it needs to be fresh. It needs to be creative. And here, like, the layout is just as important as if if not more important than the fonts you choose. Um, and for the children's world, you've got like extra considerations, like, you know, the size of the font, is it easily readable? Um, is it, you know, are the letters uh, formed in a way that would be uh, easy for children to read? Because you've got some fonts that, um, you know, I didn't know this until recently, but there are things called infant uh, Y's and G's and stuff like that. Uh, where, you know, uh, it, for example, when you think of the letter A, you're probably thinking of the really traditional one, but then you've got the one where it has a little curve at the top. 
so in the children's book world, it's a big no-no to have the one with the curve at the top because uh, children only learn the other one without the curve. And so there's like little things like that that you really need to think about when it, in children's books. But over in the world of adult fiction, where it's mainly text heavy, um, the words, the fonts and sort of the layout of the text, things like uh, line spacing, justification, all of that really matters more. Um, so a piece of advice that I've completely stolen <laughs> from another designer, but it resonated with me a lot is don't make the viewer anxious. Um, so subconsciously, we notice things like line spacing. We notice how much words stretch, uh, how close things are to the margin. And all of this has like a subtle effect on our psyche. And good design is usually not noticeable by the average person, unless you're a visual person, you're design minded. And it's usually the bad designs that make you think, hang on, something's not right here and I feel uncomfortable. So as a designer, when you're doing like internal layout of a book, it is more important to like not be noticeable than it is to like um, stand out too much. Um, so yeah, I would, my best advice for designing layouts of a book is usually take three steps back and look up really close as well. Uh, you'll be surprised by things that you can notice from further away and uh, from close up. Uh, it always helps to print things out as well and like view it on different screens um, and always ask for like a third opinion as well. And um, sometimes when you've stared at a project for so long, you don't notice those little things anymore. So yeah, in, in those times, a, a helping friend would be great. Um, Nice. Yeah. There is a surprising amount that goes into into book layout. Um, I remember doing a short course on it and learning that it wasn't for me. Um, but just things like um, the size of the font and I'm not going to have all of the vocabulary like you do, Wendy, but um, how wide the margins are is an indicator of like how fancy the book is um so your nice first print hardback might have a slightly bigger font and huge spaces um like the the actual words are only taking up such a small amount of the page um and that sends that subtle message to the reader that this is a fancy book this is worth your time um because they they're not scrounging for you know space on the page, whereas your I'm thinking of Wordsworth editions of all of the books, the classic books that I needed to read for uni, that um, had the teeny tiniest font and was like all the way up to the edge of the page because they were trying to get it done as as cheaply as possible so that they could get these books out as cheaply and as as accessibly as possible, and it just doesn't have that same you know, high finish, you don't feel like it's as luxurious an, uh, an experience when reading it. I, think I have a really fun fact on this. Sorry, the history geek is coming out in me. So this just reminded me of, um, you know, like in the 19th century Jane Austen kind of era, um, when like women would write letters 
and they would write letters and correspondence to their female friends and this kind of thing. And um, one of the things that would happen is letters tended to be started about halfway down the page um, because paper was so expensive that if you left a bigger gap at the top of the page that showed you cared about the person more and how rich you were. And so like, if you wrote a letter starting with dear Sandra or whoever it was, because all the ladies in the 19th century are called Sandra, I don't know. Um, like at the top of the page, that showed that you really didn't care about Sandra. Whereas if you started it halfway down, you were give, like getting across to them, A, how much you cared about them and B, like how rich you were because you just wasted half a page. Anyway, fun fact for you. Wow, I should begin all my emails to clients like right in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't quite work on email, does it? <laughs> yeah, I think in those cases, it's definitely uh, the anxieties of the production and design team, like seeping through the pages with, uh, yes, yeah, usage of space. And it's very interesting how we as readers can pick that up. Um, but yeah, space and lack of do convey its own messages as well, for sure. I wonder, um, Wendy, if if there was a um, author who's potentially interested in self-publishing um, or another indie press who's um, interested in maybe outsourcing some work to um, a freelance book cover designer, um, what kind of advice would you give to people in that kind of position about things they should consider when they're um, looking for somebody to design a book for them? Yeah, um, so I've got three tips. Uh, the first one is to do your research. Um, good, good book design is usually not cheap and designers will charge an hourly rate that is based on their experience. So definitely have a look around the market and see sort of this is what like really esteemed designers charge and this is what sort of newbie designers charge. Where can my budget and my desire for a good cover, where does that sit on this scale? Um, rather than sort of approach designers one-on-one -on -one and judge them uh, based on that hourly rate. And uh, usually there are reasons behind why they charge what they do. Um, so that would be my first tip. Uh, second tip would be, um, the better you are at communicating what you want, the better the outcome will be. And most importantly, the cheaper uh, it will be for you because there will be a lot less sort of back and forth. Um, I don't want this. Uh, this isn't quite what I wanted. Can we change this, the other? If you get that on sort of at the very beginning and just really establish, OK, this is exactly what I want. Um, use as much description as possible. Send references, mood boards, anything to convey the overall vibe that you're going for, that would be really super helpful and will save you money. Um, and then my last tip, which sounds a bit contradictory to the tip I just gave, but also very important. Um, the best design work usually comes from collaboration. Um, I know that if you are an author who are self-publishing or maybe you're a very, very passionate editor or agency, um, there's usually sort of, this temptation to micromanage and like, you know, dictate everything, uh, every little minute detail that will go on to the cover that you think will be great. But I think it's also very important to remember that you are hiring that designer for their creative mind and not just their knowledge of how to use the software. 
And I feel like you will get more for your money um, if you do take that into mind. So give them enough guidance to be pursuing the right track that also give them the freedom to surprise you because usually um, what you'll find is that the best ideas are the ones that you didn't come up with alone. Um, and you'll find the value of working with a designer who you trust and you've come to this product together through collaboration rather than sort of um, convey an idea and then have them sort of uh, draw out what it is that you're thinking of, if that makes sense. Rambled a little bit there. Not at all, not at all. Um, that's a really, really practical set of three things that I think um, are incredibly useful to somebody um, considering going on this journey. Um, before we start the wrap up, I just wanted to ask, is there anything that you kind of wanted to bring up yourself, Wendy, in terms of any topics you don't think we've covered or anything that um, you just want to sort of say before we go on to our end little spiel? Um, I think as a designer, as someone who's working in the field, um, and as someone who worked with designers before, I feel like there is a general sense that designers are quite out of reach sometimes. Um, but equally, we're all, you know, working in the creative industry together. So if there is any sort of fear of approaching designers or just having a chat with them about the covers and stuff, just know that you can do that. Um, and don't feel like, oh, no, I'm going to get charged this, that, the other. Um, do approach us. We're human. We love books as well. Um, yeah. Uh, don't be afraid to reach out to designers. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you. Amy, shall I pass back on to you for the end stuff? Yeah, let's wrap this up. Wendy, where can people find you? Um, so you can find me on Instagram at Whitestone Pages. Um, I'm also Wendy Mack on LinkedIn with a silent H at the end. Um, or you can email me directly at whitestonepages at gmail.com amazing um all of that will be linked in our show notes so don't feel like you need to be scrambling for a pen um and while we're here we're going to give a little update on Asteria press so wendy you're getting uh an inside of view uh, at the time of publishing this, we are finished with line editing. Um, so the manuscript is filled with my notes. Um, it's been a really, really fun process and a really interesting process for me to learn how to get around editorial challenges. Um, the secret there is that I take a random page and... <laughs> completely changed the tone of voice to be something that Holly did not intend in the slightest. So I did take the first page of this book and fill it, fill it with um, snarky, uh, indirect speech and swear words, um, which of course I did send to Holly and she got a kick out of it. <laughs> um, it was hilarious, so, just saying. <laughs> all of my sensible edits are now back with Holly for her to work through and help tone that writing. Um, and also, and most excitingly, there's a fantasy map underway for the Castle Castlian Empire. Um, Polly, I don't know if you want to speak more on that. I love maps. I love fantasy maps. It's one of the things I love fantasy. There's, you, you just can't beat a good fantasy map. Um, and one of the one of the unusual challenges are Wendy's put a little heart 
emoji up so I'm just gonna put that out for everyone um just one of the challenges I've had with this map is actually remembering what all the names are because I've adapted the names as I've been going along between different drafts and things and so now I'm gonna have to go through and like re-remember which which the final names are for all these different places um and also um I want to include various key places that are going to be coming up in the second and third book in the trilogy so I'm also trying to forecast and imagine what future Holly will be writing um so I can get those in this map as well um but yes I'm having a whale of a time with that and you're all be able to see it soon uh the castilian empire sorry i've just come up with a really smooth transition which has become a lot less smooth through this little intro in fact you can see this fantasy map on our socials <laughs> so where can you go to find us you can find us amy is just laughing her head off at me now um you can find us on twitter where you won't actually see the fantasy map because it's word space but anyway let's go to facebook and instagram oh, but on twitter. Okay, I know nothing about Twitter. Um, uh, you can see us on Facebook or Instagram at Asteria Press or Twitter at, at Press Asteria or Mastodon at Asteria Press at Bookstodon.com. That one's a mouthful. It is indeed. But until next time, keep reading. Until next time, keep reading.